Good evening to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. Hard to, hard to believe that we're halfway through the week and we're already um, into the second day of uh, September. Doesn't feel like September, but it's what it is. Well, uh, when I was on the air the previous night, we were talking about um, two men by the name of um, Tom Farnquist and Frederick Shannon and how each man had... Um, what do you call it, great assets behind uh, keeping the Fitzgerald spirit alive. But at the same time, each of these men had their uh, critics. Well, we're going to talk about the second part of the um, feud between Tom Farnquist and Frederick Shannon. But I will say that um, in the end, when this is all said and done with, there is, resol- there is resolution that will come out, but it will only benefit one of the two men. But then again, uh, you know, it's easy to assume when some form of resolution is reached that everybody walks away happy. That's not always the case, but I think it's fair to say those who choose not to walk away happy, sometimes they are, they are their own worst enemy. But that's a whole other topic for something else. So the leadoff bonus question would be this. Uh, Despite the grudges held between Tom Farnquist and Frederick Shannon over one another's views about the Fitzgerald's legacy, did it stop either man from sharing their passion for the ship itself? Oh, The obvious answer to that is no. Both men gave lectures and film presentations about the ship to audiences left and right. For Tom Farnquist, being the executive director of the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, his fame was a result of having relics, or should I say artifacts, of various shipwrecks on display. As for Fred Shannon, he was recognized for having compiled countless archives or documents about the Fitzgerald itself based off of his interviews with Captain Bernie Cooper, the Arthur Anderson, being the ship that uh, guided the Fitzgerald up until she um, mysteriously vanished out of the radar site, uh, to former um, Fitzgerald crewmen and just to people who have had uh, countless years of experience on the Great Lakes. But his uh, uncompiled archive of information... And what I mean by that was that it was um, unlimited um, amounts of information, uh, copious amounts, that um, he would, was hoping to use for writing a book as well as making a film documentary about the Fitzgerald. Nearly uh, 20 years, another bonus question I can ask you all is this. Nearly 20 years after the Fitzgerald sank... So, remember, she sinks in uh, November of 1975, most notably November 10th. So, nearly 20 years after she sinks, which would be in 1995, still 20 years after the Fitzgerald sank, did any of the 29 families have true closure? No. Um, It still is hard, even after 20 years, to find um, closure, given that for one, you know, his, historians and um, 
underwater archaeologists, while yes, they have proposed a multitude of theories, which are all relevant and uh, plausible. Uh, the problem, though, is that they've still never been able to determine what really brought the ship itself down because nobody witnessed the ship sink. However, um, the Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society, at the request of Fitzgerald family members, began advocating for plans to remove the Fitzgerald's bell and place it in the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum. This was quite a, a bold move. And who supports this? Tom Farnquist, being the museum's executive director. If Tom Farnquist didn't support this, um, then the effort to um, have any kind of closure becomes even more um, difficult to achieve. So for Tom Farnquist, being the executive director of the um, Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, he sees the ship's bell to him is seen as a permanent memorial honoring all 29 men who lost their lives. And the bell itself would honor the names of the Fitzgeralds. How do I say it? The original bell would be removed from the ship. That's the plan. So what do you put in place of the original bell? Because I can tell you this right now, all the original bell had on it was the name of the ship, being the Edmund Fitzgerald. But the new bell, if this plan goes through, the new bell would, rep would honor the names of all 29 men on the Fitzgerald, being Captain Ernest McSorley and the rest of the crew. And this new bell would not only honor the entire crew, but it would be mounted on the actual wreckage site. Well, did all 29 families come to see the Fitzgerald wreckage site as a burial ground? Yes. How so? Well, all, all the family members of, you know, the widows, the sons, the daughters uncles, you know, relatives in general, they knew that any chance, that any chances of their loved ones' remains being found were, at this point, very unrealistic and highly unlikely, and perhaps for the better, because, you know, it's one thing for someone to go missing, or if you know that they've died, but in this case, died at sea. I think it's fair to say that to bring up a, a dead person's body, while yes, it could bring closure to one person, I don't think it, would, it could bring closure, say, to the rest of the family. And given just how long those bodies have been under, under um, ground, or in this case, um, at, sea, at sea bottom for 20 years, I would say that if there are any bodies that still exist there, even today, 45 years later, they are very badly decomposed, and they all deserve to rest at the bottom of the sea peacefully. Uh, the bottom of the sea, therefore, is the grave for the Fitzgerald. After all, that's where she sits, 530 feet below Lake Superior. That really is her true grave site. It may not have been the way that the ship deserved to... Um, 
see its um, time on this um, planet come to an end, but she is in a, a, a resting place where she is left undisturbed, and she um, she is an example of how Lake Superior itself, or as the Indians referred to the Lake uh, Gichigumi, as being that lake that never gives up her dead. But as for the 29 families, they knew that their loved ones' remains would never be found, but they really wanted all future missions or explorations to the wreckage site to be banned altogether in fear of potential looting and desecration. In other words, you know, when you loot, that's another word for vandalize, but in this case, they were afraid that other um, exploration teams going down would find other objects and take them for their own profit. And while, yes, maybe take them to a museum, but at the same time not have any, what do you call it, sense of respect towards um, the families who lost uh, their loved ones. This is a very controversial thing to, you know, say, take a, an artifact or two. But when you look at, say, a ship like the Titanic, um, after Dr. Ballard, or should I say Robert Ballard and his crew discovered the ship in 1985, they did make a number of other voyages down to the actual ship in the year after 1985, being 1986. But one thing Dr. Ballard did was he, uh, he and his crew, based, they were down in, uh, what do you call it, um, small um, submarines, but they did um, designate a plaque honoring the 1,500 men, women, and children who lost their lives. And one thing they did achieve was not taking anything up. Dr. Ballard knew that this was a, um, a grave. In other words, he felt that whatever artifacts were there did not need to be taken up. Um, because if they did, it would bring back painful memories to the um, survivors who had survived that uh, tragic ordeal. But long story short, a year after Dr. Ballard and his crew um, put the plaque on the um, grave of the Titanic, what do you know? Outside um, exploration teams went down and um, brought up thousands and thousands of artifacts. And did it anger the survivors who had survived? Yes. One survivor, uh, her name was uh, Ava Hart. She had um, been quoted as saying that uh, whatever dishes, I want to I say this is the quote, but I'm not 100% correct, correct but, uh, but what she said was that, you know, whatever dishes were brought up could have been the last uh, meal that my family and I had, uh, given that she said that her father died on the ship. So it's one thing to want to share something in terms of an artifact, but it's how you go about doing it that will either make or break your trust with survivors. And in this case, countless um, other dive expeditions after Dr. Ballard's, and it, and it really did anger Dr. Ballard. And if you ask me, how do you feel about all that? I have mixed feelings, given that, yes, I am a history buff, 
Do I think it's important that artifacts do get shared to the public? Sure, but at what expense? But anyways, back to um, our primary focal point. Yes, the families of the Fitzgerald were very concerned that future expeditions to the ship would lead to potential looting and desecration. So the new ship bell, if this were to go through, the new ship bell would become the unofficial headstone, meaning the actual plaque honoring Captain Ernest McSorley and his 28 um, crewman team. As for that bell that has the name Edmund Fitzgerald, would the removal of the bell involve legal and public relations issues? The answer is yes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it can be both, but like anything else, there's always going to be some form of uh, issue at stake, uh, whether it's for the better or for worse. As for the Great Lakes Shipwreck Society, led by Tom Farnquist, he already was uh, leading the spearhead effort to have the um, Fitzgerald's bell removed. But in order for anything to uh, take place, he was going to have to prove to the Canadian government that the bell removal itself had, greater, had great significance to the 29 families, besides just being on display for countless visitors to see. So what was one of the first things he did? He drew up a petition confirming every family member's support. Once the replacement bell was put in place, then the Fitzgerald herself would be closed to future explorations. By late April of 1995, two relatives of, the, of lost crewmen went about drafting a letter to other Fitzgerald families that garnered an, ex an extreme amount of support from more than 80 people. It even won the support of the Canadian Navy and the National Geographic Society. So, with all that said done, the Fitzgerald Bell would be replaced in a series of dives between June 22nd and July 5th of 1995. You know what I find hard to believe? That, this, that all of this took place a quarter of a century ago. Yes, the Fitzgerald's been gone for 45 years. But, and ironically, five years from now, in 2025, she will have been gone for half a century. But to think that, um, that the removal of her um, bell, her original bell, was 25 years ago, I had just finished up my freshman year of high school. If that tells you how old I am, <laughs> I feel old now, uh, but 25 years ago, it may seem like a long time, but in actuality, it, it's really not when you look at uh, the grand scheme of things. As for that other fellow, Fred Shannon, was he outraged by what happened well, in Fred Shannon's eyes, uh, yes, he would have been outraged, but I think it's fair to say that Fred Shannon, yes, he is a smart man, but I think he is um, also out of his mind. He, um, in my eyes, he is someone who is very desperate for attention, but is trying to seek attention for all the wrong reasons. 
he just can't handle the fact that um, that nobody is coming to his defense, that nobody wants to support his cause um, or his theories. Basically, the, it's either his way or the highway is, is how you could probably best describe him. He went as far as filing a lawsuit to block the Bell Recovery Project. He lost the case, and the court had rejected all of his arguments. This was really a lost cause for him. I don't think he even should have pursued it. I think it's fair to say, though, that had there been, let's say, 10 or 12 of the family members who supported the Bell removal, but you had, say, half or a certain number of families who were skeptical about it, then yes, I think uh, Fred Shannon might have had a better case. But because nobody from the families um, sought him out, he was really stuck between a rock and a hard place. But then again, I think it's fair to say he may have deliberately brought that on himself. Sometimes it's best not to pursue something if you know you don't stand a chance of winning, depending on what the matter itself is. Um, but there again, it's like that question um, or saying goes, how badly do you want to lose when you know that you don't even have a chance of winning to begin with? Now, who uh, is Judge Lawrence Glazer? Well, I probably already gave part of it away, given that he's a judge. The reason why Judge Glazer is important is because he he becomes the judge who ruled in favor of the Fitzgerald wreckage as being in uh, the jurisdiction of uh, Canadian waters. Remember, Lake Superior is shared by both the United States and Canada, and the Fitzgerald um, would sink, or the Fitzgerald, I rather I should say, she sank in uh, the Canadian waters off of Lake Superior in 1975. Now, July 4th of 1995, of course, in the United States, that's Independence Day. But as for in Canada, what's taking place? A ship by the name of the HMCS Cumberant, being a 245-foot Canadian ship vessel, transports a crew to the wreckage site. The operation, or should I say mission, was part underwater archaeological expedition, and also a, and this part of it was also a prayer vigil. The prayer vigil being remembering those men who uh, lost their lives on November 10th of 1975. Now, who is uh, Bruce Fuaco? He is a diver who would go about cutting the Fitzgerald's bell loose, and he would also supervise its rise to the surface. Now, wouldn't it have been something to have been in Bruce Fuaco's shoes to have cut this, cut this bell, knowing that this bell had not been seen to the public in 20 years, or should I say, knowing that really anybody else who saw the Fitzgerald's bell besides the crew themselves before they perished, would have been um, people uh, working at, um, at the uh, harbor in um, Silver Bay, Minis not Silver Bay, uh, Superior, Wisconsin, depending on how close they got to the top of the ship. But this is the first time that um, 
most people who will get to see this bell up close in person. So once Bruce Fuaco uh, cuts the Fitzgerald's bell and he is supervising its um, rise to the surface, is it fair to say that a, um, a family member will be the first to um, see the Fitzgerald bell as it's being risen up from, um, from the very bottom of Lake Superior? Uh, the answer is yes. The, the first person who will get to see it up close is Jack Champeau, who is a brother of third engineer Buck Champeau. Jack Champeau got to reach out and pull the rope and saw the Fitzgerald Bell for the first time. This is pretty powerful. Um, you know, it's one thing to lose someone out on the sea, but when they are a part of a crew like the Edmund Fitzgerald, this is the ship that everybody wanted to be on. Uh, given that it was the Titanic of the Great Lakes, uh, the Toledo Express, the Mighty Fitz. I mean, this ship um, this ship was the granddaddy of them all for a good period of time. So to see this bell in person, I can see how it would have brought tears to people's eyes, especially the families, uh, just knowing that their loved one or their loved ones, all 29 of them, saw just how deeply committed the family member who they lost was not only to their work, but by giving everything they had um, by being out on the Great Lakes. Now, what's unique about July 7th of 1995, three days after the, um, the bell was brought up? Family members would attend a formal dockside bell presentation service to a banquet hall gathering. The ceremony included tolling of the bell 29 times in memory of the Fitzgerald's crew, given that there were 29 men who lost their lives. So the ceremony isn't just about the tolling of the bell 29 times, but it's also um, its installation with the bells and the bell itself, it's it being installed into the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum. You know, it's one thing to have this bell be installed. It's a pretty big deal. But let me ask you guys this. It's one thing to have the bell be installed, but are there any legal documents that are going to go into place? Or should I say, were there any legal documents signed in the aftermath of the Fitzgerald's bell being brought up? The answer is yes. The, Michael Schumacher mentioned uh, about one legal document that was the most important, and it still has extreme significance to this day. The legal document at stake included signatures from three officers of Great Lakes Shipwreck Historical Society, two trustees of the Mariner's Church in Detroit, to 46 Fitzgerald family members. The document basically stated that the Fitzgerald Bell was to be placed in a permanent memorial at Whitefish Point, Michigan to honor the 29 men who lost their lives on November 10, 1975. Okay, that's um, pretty well self-explained. However, there's another catch here that's very important as well, too. 
The Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum was responsible for maintaining the bell. This is where it still is today. According to the wishes of all 29 families, it is not to be sold, moved, or used for commercial purposes. If the opposite did happen, and I would pray to God that it never would happen, but if the opposite did happen, then the bell itself would be transferred to the Mariner's Museum in Detroit for safekeeping. So, for whom did the Edmund Fitzgerald Bell really belong to in the end when this is all said and done with? Well, yes, it's at the um, Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum in Whitefish Point for visitors to see. In the end, the bell itself belongs to the families of all 29 men who perished. The bell itself didn't belong to any one individual, corporation for that matter, or basically museums in general. In other words, the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum is not profiting. All, I mean, they are making a profit by having visitors come in to visit their museum, but they're not profiting directly off the bell. And that's a good thing, because if they were profiting directly off the bell, then I, would, I think it would be fair to say that perhaps it would need to be relocated to the Mariner's um, Museum um, for safekeeping. Well, I've seen pictures of the Fitzgerald Bell online, and it's a very impressive uh, bell. It may not be the same size as the famous Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but the Fitzgerald Bell is very sacred. You think about it, the age range of these 29 men ranged from uh, 62 to 22. You've got men from all walks of life. You have seasoned veterans who have spent years out on the waters to rookies who are learning their way up the ladder. These 29 men, um, they all had something to live for. Unfortunately, some of them were, look, were almost at that, at that point where they could retire. And sadly... Um, the gales of November robbed them, um, those men who were about to retire, of their, um, what do you call it, maybe not so much their, the second half of their life, but what lied in store for them in the future. Because many, all these men made sacrifices, big and small. Many of these men who were married were out, at, out in the waters for eight months out of the year. For a lot of these men, they didn't know any better in terms of what other job was available, but this line of work was one in which the communities were all very close-knit. So there was a reason for being out at sea. Well, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, and I do we do have Tom Farnquist to thank for his efforts in seeing to it that the um, the Fitz, Edmund Fitzgerald Bell, the original bell that is, is in a very secure place and will remain so for many more years to come. And knowing that the bell itself, while yes, it's out there for visitors to see, but it's really there to um, 
keep all 29 men's spirits alive. Well, thank you, and I look forward to another podcast session here soon. Uh, Take care. Uh, Good night.